in the affairs of men. God is in charge of people. Now, look also there at um, verse 5. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and of Benjamin and the priests and the Levites and all them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. God raised up people. Because remember, here's the people. They've been living now for 70 years in Babylon. Right? That's more than anybody, longer than anybody else in this room has lived, even Mr. Daly, right? That's longer than anybody here has lived, 70 years, right? And, you know, they're pretty well established. They've been, they've been living in their houses. They've got their land. They're probably doing quite well by this time in Babylon. Back to Jerusalem. That's scary. That's like the captivity all over again because you're going back to start brand new, fresh with nothing. You know, who wants to do that? Well, the people that God stirred up to do it to. And by the way, if you look at Israel, uh, and this is not recorded in the Bible, but, but it's happened in our day too. That in recent times, God took a people from all over the world and put it in their hearts to go back to Israel. Who'd want to do that? They, they had lives, they had homes, they had wealth in the cities they'd been living in. Why would you want to go back to Jerusalem? Because God wanted them back there. God put it in their hearts to go back there. You see, the heart of the king and everybody else is in the hand of the Lord. He can do whatever he likes with it. You're never at the mercy of people. It might feel sometimes to you like, like you are, but you never are at the mercy of people. And the problem with us being at the mercy of people is we tend to fret, don't we? You know, when, when, we're th- when we think we're at the mercy of people, that's just unbearable to us. We want to get out of that. We want to stop that. That's, that's one of those flashpoints for us where it's very easy for us to get in the flesh and do something fleshly because he's not going to control me. He's not going to be the boss of me. No, he's not the boss of you. God is the boss. And you know what? If God's the boss, I'm happy. I'm happy. Because I know he loves me. And I know he's always going to keep that in mind when he's allowing somebody else to deal with me. So we don't have to react, okay? All right, Ezra 6, verse 22. Now, this is incredible. Verse 21. And the children of Israel, which were come again out of the captivity, and such as had separated themselves unto them from the filthiness of the heathen of the land to seek the Lord God of Israel, did eat, and kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful, and turned the king, turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Right. So God had given them joy, but He'd also turned the heart of the king of Assyria unto them. He had turned that heart so that it was favorable to them. Do you realize that favor with people is something that's incredibly valuable to us? And oftentimes we see God just doing that in our lives. God gives us favor with people. God gives us favor. And we tend to think of it as nothing, but what we don't understand is that God's able to do it. You know, you might be in a position in in work with somebody who's listened just against you. God's able to give you favor with that person. God's able to turn that situation around. 
God's able to remove people from situations. He's able to turn hearts. God's able to do anything in those situations. So we need to understand that God is able. He's in charge of the situation. Nothing's happening that he's not in control of. Look at Daniel 1 verse 9. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Now, we we know the situation here. Daniel has been taken into captivity. He's in Babylon. And um, he doesn't want to partake of the, uh, of the king's food because he's, he's purposed in his heart that he's going to serve God. And look at verse 9. Now, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Now, it doesn't say that the prince of the eunuchs just liked Daniel. He did. But the reason he liked Daniel was because God put it in his heart. See? God turned the king's heart towards Daniel. God put it in the king's heart to actually, in the eunuch's heart here, he was the, 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 the head, the one that was actually his direct authority. God put it in his heart to like Daniel. So Daniel's got favor with him. So he looks on Daniel and, and he's going to go with Daniel on this plan simply because God has given Daniel favor with him. Do you know how important it is when God gives you favor with people? That's something you understand. God can do that. God can give you favor with people. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 16. And this is Paul writing about Titus, right? <clears throat> But thanks be to God, which hath put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. That God put that care for you, that same care as Paul had, into the heart of Titus for them. It was a God thing. You see, because we don't see it on the surface, oftentimes we don't reckon on it, but God's always working in people's hearts. God's always dealing in people's hearts. Now... Here's what, we, here's what we'll attempt to do. We'll attempt to look at the situation and say, okay, well then, if God's going to always work in people's hearts, it's always going to work out well for me. Yes, that's true. But not always in the short term. Because God often has a work to do in your life. And he's going to use somebody else to do it. We'll see that in a minute too. But, but yes, the truth is that God always uh, is going to work it out in your favor. Your favor in his glory Always, he's going to work it out for your good and his glory. Always. He makes you a promise that, it, that he'll do that. But, but what God did was God worked in the, tight of heart, in the heart of Titus to have the same tender care for them. Now, by the way, you need to understand this in your, in your own heart too. right? That God's able to take your heart and turn it too. And does. Now, sometimes we stand against him. Sometimes we don't want to. But God's able to take your heart and turn it and turn it one direction or turn it in another. And give somebody favor in your eyes and give you a heart for somebody and a heart for a ministry and so on. And what happens is we take that as being us, but it's not. It's God's thing. God takes and God does those things in us. 
We need to go with God on them, but God, God takes and God does those things. All right, then number two, God restrains people. God restrains people from decisions or actions that would harm us. Now, and again, you see, the thing about it is you don't see it. You know, I'm always mindful of this. Like they, I've told you about me clipping the, the wing mirror of the car there just a few weeks ago. You know, and that was a pain in the face that day, and the mirror is still broken. That is a pain in the face, right? But, but here's, the, here's, the, here's the thought. How many times do you go out on the road and God maneuvers circumstances so that an accident doesn't happen? You don't see it. You don't know it. So you, you've no idea. But listen, God is constantly at work in our situation constantly at work in our situation. It's only when you have a near miss you realize how, how easy it could uh, how easy it is for something bad to happen. You know, <clears throat> but constantly God is at work in those situations. God is constantly restraining things in our lives. It's a dangerous world and we have an enemy. And if he can't get us all, get us to the place where we're where we're, we're working working for him and against God, he'd just like to take us out. That'd be kind of handy too. Just remove us. And we're in this spiritual warfare. We don't realize it. And God is constantly taking care of us. And we miss it because he can restrain things. But there are several times in the Bible when God opens our eyes and lets us see the fact that he's restraining. All right, look at Genesis chapter 20. Genesis 20. And we read from the beginning of the chapter here, right? And Abraham journeyed from thence towards the south country and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took her. Okay, now listen. Here's an interesting, a really interesting one. This one is Abraham's own fault. Now, what's our thinking? Well, if it's your own fault... You pay the piper. Now we think, you know, you caused it. I, I got it wrong, so therefore I suppose I'll have to pay the piper. Now, 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 now watch the way God works in the situation. God is able to, <clears throat> to work on several levels at the same time. He's able to multitask. He's not like those men, right? <clears throat> he's actually able to multitask and do several things all at the same time. And he's going to do just that now in this situation with Abraham. He's going to teach Abraham... Uh, not to lie, but Abraham's not going to get the lesson. But he's going to teach Abraham not to lie. Uh, but he's also going to protect Abraham in it. And how he's going to protect Abraham is he's going to take Abimelech and he's going to restrain Abimelech from doing wrong in the situation, right? <clears throat> so the situation is Abraham said, she's my sister. Abimelech said, listen, she's a fine-looking sister. She's going to be my wife. And Abraham, I'm making you an offer you can't refuse. And Abraham couldn't say anything about it. Uh, Abimelech was stronger than him he had to give up his wife and he couldn't say I was only joking she really is my wife you know he was kind of caught he caught himself in his own lie so he's really in trouble right but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said unto him behold thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken uh, for she is a man's wife but Abimelech had not come near her and he said Lord wilt thou slay also a righteous nation said he not unto me she is my sister and even she herself said he is my brother in the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yeah, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thine heart. 
For I also have withheld thee from sinning against me, therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now, here's the thing. Amazing thing. Abimelech marries Sarah. Right? But he never, to use the biblical term, goes into her. Somehow that just doesn't happen. Somehow, I'm sure if you'd asked Abimelech why it hadn't happened, he, he really wouldn't have known why it hadn't happened. But the reality is it hadn't happened because God had restrained him. Now, to understand there that what God is doing is God is restraining the natural lust. He's restraining it. He's holding it back there. He's not letting Abimelech do that which would be very natural for him to do after marrying her. God restrained him from doing it. And you say, how did God do that? Because the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it whithersoever he wants. There's nothing happening apart from God saying yes to it. God's in charge. Every heart in the world is in the hands of the Lord. God's in control of all of it. He's in control of every heart, right? Okay. Um, Look at Genesis 35, verse 5. And by the way, Abraham learned the valuable lesson there. Well, he didn't learn the lesson. But Abraham was shown that it didn't pay to lie. Because Abraham went through torture. I've lost Sarah. I've lost the promise. I've lost everything. Everything is gone now. Was what was Abraham's reality for those few days. But God, who had a plan in the whole thing, said, I'm going to restrain it from happening. But he's going to, he's going to feel it for a while. If only he'd learned, but he does it again further down the line. Okay, so Genesis 35 and verse 5. Right? So um, God sends Jacob up to Bethel. And sorry, in in Genesis 34, uh, Jacob's sons have killed uh, a whole nation. Dinah has been taken, and um, they, they, they've taken, and they've gone into Shechem, and they've tricked them. They've got them to circumcise themselves, saying, listen, we'll give you our daughters to wife uh, if you circumcise them. When they, and when they were sore, they went in, and they slew every, all the men of the city. And Jacob says this. Jacob says, you've ruined me. I'm only a small band. There's 70 of us. We live in the midst of a people when they hear of this. Every sword is going to be sharpened and pointed towards us. They're going to kill us. You know, very natural circumstance. But look what God does in verse 5. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Now, why were they afraid of 70 people who had tricked them in a horrible, mean-spirited way? Why were they afraid of them? Because their hearts were in the hand of the Lord. And he put their terror on them. They were afraid. They were terrified. They were just terrified. There was nothing they could do about it. They were just terrified. They were afraid to go out against them. And Jacob passed through the land. And all his children passed through the land. Look at Exodus 34. Exodus 34, verse 23 and 24. 
Thrice in the year shall all your men children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. All right, so here we have Israel, vast nation spread out all over the land that God has given them. And three times in the year, all the men are supposed to go to Jerusalem. Now, there's no police force. There's no standing army. This, they don't have that kind of stuff at this point in the game. And all the men are going to leave. Now, remember, this is, this is a day and age when, you know, strength, might wins all the time. So if you're looking over the hedge into Israel and you say, you know what? Every March 25th, all those men are going up to Jerusalem. They'll be three days away, four days away. You know what? That's our chance. We will take everything they have. We will fleece them. I mean, we'll just, we'll just do it all. That, that would be the, the natural thing for people to think. Right? It'd be kind of like this. <clears throat> It'd be kind of like you going out to church tonight, and everybody knows you go to church because, you know, you're gone uh, every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening, and leaving the gates open, leaving the doors open, and no lights on, so, you know, listen, it was come and get it. You can walk through my house and take anything you want to. That, that's the way they were left. That's the way they left their land and everything else. But look at the next verse. Um, <clears throat> For I will cast out the nations before thee and enlarge thy borders. Neither shall any man desire thy land when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. Do you know what God undertook to do? God undertook that all the nations surrounding them, that they wouldn't even desire the land. It wouldn't enter into their minds to do that, which is totally unnatural. That they wouldn't even think of it. All Israel had to do was obey God, and God was going to work it out that nobody wanted their land. That it could work. Now, we have to really understand that when we're dealing in our relationship with this God that we deal with, that he is very powerful. That he is able to do absolutely anything. And it's not that we're to be ridiculous, but we're to obey him even when it looks ridiculous. And when he says for us to do something, we're to do it, even if, even if it looks ridiculous. Even if it looks, that, that's, that's just suicide. You can't do that. That's just suicide. Because when you do that, what happens is he steps in, and he's in charge of every heart around you. Very often what we're likely to do is we're, we're, you know, we're likely to look at that and say, well, look, that's ridiculous. Tell you what, why don't you, you, and you go, and I'll stay and look after the police. Yeah. And we have plan B. We'll work it out ourselves. We'll work it out apart from God. And <clears throat> what we do is we demonstrate no faith. And what happens is, you know, listen, it destroys us. It destroys us. We, we, we remove ourselves from his protection. And Jonah said it. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. We miss out on mercy because what we're doing is, you know, we're, we're going to do it ourselves. And have you noticed that whenever you're going to do it yourself, God says, okay, go ahead. That he just lets you try and do it yourself because he knows it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. If you want to do it yourself, you can do it yourself, but God leaves you to do it yourself. And what you get is your best effort, which is usually pretty lame, instead of God's omnipotent best. And there's nothing lame about that. But the issue for us is faith. Will we obey? 
and do what God tells us to do, or will we do what we think is the best thing to do? By the way, let me bring it up. <clears throat> Tithing's an area like that, isn't it? Tithing, tithing is miraculous in our lives. It's one of those miracles where we touch the throne. Somehow we touch the throne. Yeah, and listen, probably everybody in this room knows a time when you fell back. And you know what happens when you hold back? You lose. You would think if you held back, you'd be able to go and put it in the bank. But if you hold it back and you go to your bank account, it's not there. It's gone somewhere else. It's always gone. But if you give it, somehow it's in your bank account as well. It's amazing. It's amazing the way God has, God has asked us to trust him with the tithe. And, you know, it's ridiculous. We can't afford it. It's nonsense. But when we do it, not only does it work, but there's blessing involved in it. Because God's able to do anything. He is the omnipotent God. He's able to do anything. But he asks us to trust him, just like he asked these people. He said, listen, you leave, you go. You go worship me. I'll take care of the farm for you. God says, listen, <clears throat> you give. I'll take care of it. You, you obey. You do me in whatever other area, you do for me in whatever other area I'm telling you to do. And even though it looks ridiculous, I'll take care of the situation. I'll look after you in it. You'll be okay. Because everybody's heart's in my hand. I can control all of it. I can take care of all of it. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Does God permit evil? <clears throat> Uh, now, here's where it gets to be difficult for us. Does God permit evil in our lives? Yes. Decidedly, yes. And you're saying, well, this is a great message, Pastor. I wish you just finished on the last point. My, my faith was soaring. I was encouraged, and I was looking to great things to happen. And now you're telling me bad things can happen, too. Well, we would be lying. We would be doing disservice to the Scripture if we didn't actually allow for the reality that God allows bad things. But God allows bad things for good reasons. God allows bad things to happen to me for good reasons. And it's the difference between the surgeon's scalpel and the assassin's dagger. When I take it the right way. Because the scalpel is cutting me and drawing blood the same way as the dagger is. But it's for a whole different reason and I treat the thing completely differently. When God allows bad things to happen in my life, he allows bad things to happen in my life because he loves me. We're not going to look at it, but in Ezra chapter 4, verses 6 through 24, you know, God has allowed the building to start. God allows the building to stop. He allows enemies uh, to get in the way of it and to stop the building from being built. It's part of God's plan. You know, I don't know that they understood it. I don't know that I understood why, but God did that. But he allowed the building to stop. Now, the classic story, though, is Genesis 50. We're looking at Joseph here. So look with me at Joseph. Genesis chapter 50. And we know the story of Joseph. <clears throat> Joseph was his father's favorite. His brothers hated him. They couldn't speak peaceably unto him. His father sent Joseph out one day in his nice coat that showed he was the favorite, that he was the best, that he was kind of special above all the others. And they said, yeah, look at this dreamer. I'll tell you what, let's, let's, let's deal with him now. And they had an evil heart towards Joseph. Right? Now, 
You know, we would, we, we would want for them to say, for God to turn their hearts and give them a good heart towards Joseph. But he doesn't. And he's got a good reason for it. So they take Joseph and they strip him of his coat and they throw him in the pit. And ultimately they, they sell him as a slave and they bring the coat home with blood on it and say, Daddy's dead. Uh, and a beast must have, eat, must have eaten him. And Joseph goes to Potiphar's house and he uh, becomes a steward there. And Potiphar's wife <clears throat> accuses him in the wrong and he gets uh, cast into prison and he spends years in prison. And all of that is just bad stuff. Now, by the way, even in the bad stuff that's happening to Joseph, there's two incidences where you see God working. First of all, God gives him favor with Potiphar. Potiphar's no fool. He realizes the hand of God is upon Joseph. You know, he is making money like a bandit. He is doing so well with my stuff. I I could never do as well with it. This guy is blessed. I I am sure Potiphar's household went downhill rapidly uh, once Joseph left. But Potiphar knew it, and God had given Joseph blessing for, uh, for Potiphar, and Potiphar knew it. He was blessed, and Joseph found favor in his eyes. And then Joseph is thrown into the prison, but God gives him favor with the keeper of the prison. So the keeper of the prison looks at Joseph and he thinks, you know, this guy's, and he gives him freedom in the prison. Now understand that, that even in trials, okay, things you don't want to happen, places you don't want to be, you know, when things are going wrong, and even in trials, God is able to give you blessing. Don't, Don't close your eyes to that. If you get bitter, you miss it. If you get bitter, you miss the blessings God's got for you in the hard times. There's blessing in the hard times. There's a smile from heaven on the darkest day. If you just got your eyes open to see it. But Joseph, anyway, I mean, it's not a happy story. You know, there's the pit. There's uh, slavery. There's part of our house and the lies. And there's the prison. That's not a happy day. That, that, that's not a good thing. That's not, that's not, not, and you know, it would be easy for Joseph to look at that situation and for Joseph to say, you know what? This is evil. I am just at the mercy of all these people. All these people are just doing what they like with me. It's just terrible. But look at what he says in verse 20. This is when dad's died and the brothers come to him and the brothers are just, you know, they're terrified. They're terrified because Joseph's going to kill them. You know why? Because they knew what they would do in Joseph's place now. You know? They they, they knew what they would do. They'd carried the guilt with them for all these years, and now they thought, Dad's dead. Joseph's going to take us, and he's going, listen, he's going going to get revenge now. And so they're coming, and they're they're pleading with him. Uh, In verse 18, And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, do you know what Joseph is doing in that verse? He's looking back over 14 years of hardship brought on by the mean action of his brothers. 14 years of hardship. And he's saying, you see, you wanted to do me evil, but God was doing me good. What he's saying is God's hand has been at work in the situation all along. Even though you were doing me wrong, even though your hearts towards me were bad, 
God's heart was good. God was doing me good in the situation. And he's not a bit bitter. Because he's come out on the right side of it, and he's come out on the God side of it, and reckoned on God's hand being in it. You see, God's hand is never removed from the situations in your life. Never. It doesn't matter how you know. Look, bad things are going to happen to you. Unfair things are going to happen. We were talking about this in men's Sunday school this morning. Unfair things are going to happen in your life. Bad things are going to happen in your life. But you've got to understand that they're not outside the remit of God, that God's actually in control of them. And it's amazing how over the years, God's able to show you, you know what, my hand was there for good. My hand was blessing. Some of the things in your life that maybe you find the hardest because of the way they've worked out. It's not fair. It's not right. It cut. It burned. Maybe like Abraham, you're responsible for it. You know, and, and you've got all these problems and all these difficulties because of it. And you look at those situations and you think, you know what, listen, it's just a disaster. Don't forget, God is involved. And God specializes in bringing beauty from ashes. God specializes in doing that. Here's Joseph, second in the command to Pharaoh, sitting beside his throne in charge of all the land and everything that's going on. And you know what? This is the same Joseph who's been in prison, who's been a slave, who's been in the pit. Same guy. God was working him to that place. And you know what? He recognized it. Now you say, well, I don't see any second in command to the, uh, to the throne for me. It doesn't have to be like that in your life. It doesn't have to work out like it did for somebody else. What you've got to understand is God is doing you good. Right? Right? He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You seek God, and you know what? He is a rewarder. He will meet your need. He will take care of you. He will bless you, because that's who he is. It's not a case of that's just, you know, what he does for some people. That's who he is. He will take care of you. He will bless in your life as you seek him. Nobody is going to look at God and say, well, you know what? Christianity stinks. You know, I, I, I was a Christian, and you know what? It just cost me. Absolutely nobody is going to say that. Because God works in our lives. And God takes care of us. And God restrains. Now, let me give you four principles and we're done, right? Here's a principle for you to take home in your heart. You are never at the mercy of people. Never. You may walk into a situation where somebody's got all the power and you've got none. You think, I'm at the mercy. No, you're not God. But God. God's in charge. God's in charge. God's able to do whatever he wants to do in the situation. You are never at the mercy of people. You don't have to fear people. Um, God can change somebody's heart towards you. He can turn the heart. Now, if he doesn't choose to, he doesn't choose to, but he's able to turn the heart. He's able to change it. He's able to turn that heart around. God is our concern, not man. Our concern is, are we right with him? Are we right with him? Because if we're right with him, we're going to be okay. Being right with man is not the issue. Man thinking you're okay is not the issue. You know, we, we, we live in a society and in a world where, you know, if, 
<clears throat> promotes this idea of doing right by man and pleasing man and doing whatever man wants you to do. You know, listen, that's nonsense. You just please God and leave it in his hands. He's able to take care of it. God is our concern, not man. <clears throat> uh, and when someone has a bad toward, heart towards us, God is doing us good even then. You see, so because God is sovereign over people, we're never at the mercy of people. That's a joy. That's a blessing. That's something that can enable you to sleep at night. Because you know what? I don't trust the crazies in this world. I really don't. And there's a lot of them out there. But you know what I do trust? I trust God. And while I can't control the crazies and the government can't control the crazies and nobody else can, you know what? Their heart's in God's hand. He can do whatever he wants with them. Nothing's happening in my life today, nor any day, apart from God allowing it, and the same is true for you. So you know what? Go home and rest, because God's in charge. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of being able to see your hand through the pages of Scripture, controlling the hearts of men. And Lord, your people, Lord, face people, unreasonable people, face people who are uh, against them, face all kinds of issues and difficulties. But Lord, tonight, we're looking to you. Tonight, we're resting in you. Tonight, we're recognizing your hand, your presence, and your power in our lives. And Lord, we thank you that you'll never leave us nor forsake us because you are our God and you've given us a promise. Now, would you bless us, Lord, as we go tonight? And would you keep our hearts close to you and have us rest, Lord, in you, in Jesus' name. Amen.